Salwate to Skippily. Welcome again to another episode of Latin and Layman's. Today we're going to go over what is in Wheelock's chapter 24, uh, basically the uses of the participles and all the participle forms that we are learned prior, right? So we have a present active participle, we have a perfect passive, we have a future active, and we have a few future passive, right? So um, that negates that we have any sort of participle, participial form in the present passive and the uh, present passive and the uh, what is it? The perfect active. There we go. All right. So we're going to go over four important rules. The first one's going to be a little convoluted because uh, there. Are, what I'm going to outline for the first is that ablative absolutes come in three forms so um two of which i can kind of explain right now uh another one that we're gonna have to explain through examples later on so uh another or one form rather is with a and we're gonna say a is a noun and then we're gonna say b is a verb so with a having been bead that's kind of like so with liam having been killed Essentially, I don't know, you know, kind of uh, rough there. Don't mind the wind. I hope that is not ruining my sound quality because, again, there's uh, some stuff going on inside the house. So I am trying to seek solace next to this nice rock water feature uh, to do my lesson. So anyways, so we have with A having been B and then with A uh, being so with Liam killing, I could say that instead. That's an ablative absolute, and then the third one can't really explain. It's a little bit more difficult because it, it involves a second noun as well as an adjective. So I'm just going to go into the second point. Second point being, ideally, the noun, which is the subject of an abs- ablative absolute, is absolute from the main sentence, meaning it is not a constituent in it. So, number three, the passive passive paraphrastic, there we go, carries a sense of obligation or necessity, best translated as must or have to. And number four, the passive paraphrastic expects a dative agent with no preposition. So, at this point, we've got agents again, right? Especially when we deal with any sort of passive verb, aka passive paraphrastic must be some sort of passive verb form. Anyways, this chapter marks an important turning point in the study of your Latin. Henceforth, we're going to focus on syntax, which is essentially how words fit together over formation, how the individual words are created, essentially. Um, so that, that formation is what we've been focusing on for the former half, but, you know, we're going to get into more of the fun stuff, you know, translating, not as literally, but still understanding what is going on within that sentence so we'll spend more time learning how to use what we've already got in new and productive ways especially in forming various types of clauses Um, this is when i really started to understand grammar in a different way because i never knew what a clause was i think like i was always told what it was never really understood it and um it was just one of those things that i i said that word in a context where I thought it would fit in and uh, most of the time it did, but I still didn't understand the use of the word clause. Like what did clause mean? Anyways, the 
first piece of syntax we'll delve into is called the applet of absolute, as I mentioned prior. One of the simplest and most straightforward constructions in Latin. Uh, Caesar really liked this one. If you read, ever read Caesar's De Bella Gallico, he, uh, uh, he, well, of course, he's got a talking absolutes. He's Caesar. Um, it's a use of the ablative that's equivalent to the English with, but with in a sense that that we haven't encountered yet. So this is what grammarians refer to as an absolute construction. Okay, so not really sure what that means, so let's clear it up a little bit. So an ablative absolute is made up of two ablatives, okay? Most usually a noun and a participle. This construction stands apart from the grammar of the main sentence. That's why it's called an absolute. A term which has been to derived from the Latin word absolutum, the perfect passive participle of the verb absolvere, uh, which means to detach. So thus it means having been detached. Ha! Love that. There's your etymology break from Latin. So there are three major types of ablative absolutes. So number one, the type found most often in Latin uses an ablative, ablative noun and an ablative perfect passive participle creating a phrase that translates literally into English as with the noun having been verbed, as I mentioned prior. The second most common type employs a present participle in place of the perfect passive participle with the noun verbing. And number three, the last and least frequent type combines either two nouns of the ablative or a noun and an ablative, both in the ablative. So, Let's go ahead. We'll do. I'll try and outline this very briefly, and then we'll go on to it a little bit later on. So, with with noun one, let's say with noun one being as noun two, or with the noun being as the adjective. Um, yeah. So uh, that's as best as I'm going to uh, kind of format that in a very. Uh, uh, formulaic like manner so now let's step away from the whole and focus on the first and most common type of ablative absolute with the noun having been verbed or in other words with this having been done uh, so the noun slash subject of the ablative absolute is this its participle verb is having been done so in latin this would be hoc facto here's another example Let's look at um, with the city having been rescued. Excuse me. In Latin, that would be urbe erepta. See, these words, these, um, these verbs are participials, right? Because they're still taking on not personal endings. They're taking on case endings, right? So like I said, they're a verbal adjective or an adjective. I think that's what I said. Or I said an adjective, verbal adjective. Anyways, uh, the second... Okay, so let's do one more just to hone in it. So, because the types of absolute, ablative absolutes have a passive participle, it expects a, an agent, okay? So, for instance, by the Greek. So, in Latin, a Grecis. So, with the, hit, with the city having been captured by the Greeks, essentially. The second most common type of ablative absolute uses a present active participle following the formula with a noun verbing. So, for instance, with them coming, which Latin would render as eis or ilis uh, wentibus or wenientibus. Wenientibus. 
right? Ibus. Ablative. Plural. With them coming. Them is not singular. It is plural. That is why ilis is plural ablative. And so, or eis. Um, and then when he ain't tibus uh, is ablative plural. And I know that I botched that. So how about with another example? With Caesar listening. Which in Latin would be Caesar aliente. This type of ablative absolute uses an active participle so it expects a direct object. For instance, see Caesar rather, Caesar amicos aliente, with, C- with Caesar listening to his friends, right? To his friends, amicos, or the participle can have after it anything that naturally follows it. For example, an indirect object with Caesar giving presence to his friends. Cool beans. Finally, an ablative absolute can have only two nouns or a noun and an adjective that is no participle. This is a noun as slash being another noun or with a noun as or being an adjective. For example, with Caesar or how about as Kikoro as citizen with kikoro as citizen rather in latin that's kikorone kiwe or with the end being certain which in latin would be or you would just say with the end certain which in latin would be fine kerto the second noun or adjective acts like a predicate nominative but in the ablative case because it's subject the thing to which it refers is ablative by the rules of its construction this type of ablative absolute would be a minor variation not worth noting in um, a beginning latin class um, if it weren't for the fact that latin has so has no word equivalent to being so without a present participle for sum, the Romans can't say with Caesar being general. Therefore, or uh, they are rather forced to say with Caesar general. Sorry, I yawned doing that. With Caesar general. So the two ablative noun variation of the ablative absolute occurs much more often in Latin than the equivalent construction happens in English which is all but never. What an ablative absolute really shows is, according, according to us grammarians, attendant circumstance. Something, 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 uh, something that's happening around and may in some way affect the message of the main sentence, but the reason the attendant circumstance is being mentioned is not necessarily stated explicitly. It can be and often is implied. That is, the speaker or writer assumes the connection between the main sentence and the attendant circumstance is clear and doesn't have to be expressed as such. And sometimes, Roman writers are just being coy and trying to say something without actually saying it. Ah. So, what are the implications of those aforementioned attendant circumstances? Well... An ablative absolute like with Caesar as general can imply cause. Thus, interpreting the that absolute ablative absolute as since Caesar was the general. 
makes sense, particularly particularly if the main sentence goes on to say something like, the Romans defeated the Gauls. But in other circumstances, an A2, a second noun, may merely show circumstance, not in which case it's best to translate this second noun as when Jesus was general or was what is going on Liam when Jesus was general when Caesar or Caesar was general uh, Rome experienced civil turmoil or something like that and a2 can also imply hey I love Caesar but he also was a madman can imply an unexpected outcome in which case it's called concessive, and it's best to use although in the English translation. Although Caesar was general, the Romans were defeated. Now that you understand how ablative absolutes are formed, we can talk about why the subject or the noun of the second uh, can be part of this main sentence. So the reason for this is very simple. If the noun recurs in the sentence, there's no need for a second noun or a second participle, an A2, as we mentioned, right? Because A2 refers to our second noun. Just to reiterate that real quickly, I'm going to let this wind pass in case it is affecting the sound quality. Um, love all these chirping, though. I hope that you guys do, too. And the richness of the water that is flowing behind me. Calm waters run deep, baby. Alrighty. I'm going to stop now before I'm uh, ahead. So there's no read. Like I said, if the noun recurs in the sentence, there's no need for a second noun. Just attach the participle to the noun. Why create a, a separate absolute construction when you don't have to? Uh, unless you want to be convoluted and you want to fill in more space and uh, not get to the point straight away. So... If there's any way to incorporate into the main sentence the thought embodied in a second noun, do it. Often, it's possible to use the direct object or some other noun in the A2, the second, or the, the, that participle, uh, not just its subject. So, in theory, nothing in the uh, participle, participle what do I want to say here? Nothing in the ablative of absolute form should reappear in the sentence. So, it's wrong to say, with Caesar leading the army, Caesar defeated the Gauls, right? Instead of creating a second ablative of absolute, just attach the participial phrase, leading the army, to the word Caesar, right? In the main sentence, and say, Caesar, while leading the army, defeated the Gauls. Again, it's wrong to say, with Caesar leading the army, the army defeated the Gauls. In this case, making the participle leading passive, having been led. And attach it to army in the main sentence. Then change Caesar from the subject, of, uh, from the subject to the agent, right? Because we need that agent, uh, resulting in having been led by Caesar, right, our ablative agent, the army defeated the Gauls. Here again, it's important to understand how to shift correctly back and forth between, between relative and absolute time, because changing absolute or ablative absolutes into clauses entails converting participles, which show relative time to finite verbs in clauses that reflect absolute time.
in it so for instance i'll make that a little bit more simple hopefully with caesar coming the enemy fled when the enemy's fleeing or rather when is the enemy's fleeing happening in the past so when is caesar's coming happening in or rather the same time the past how then do you change with Caesar coming into when clause with the finite verb? What tense do you use? I mean the past, of course, right? If past is happening in both circumstances, when Caesar was coming, the, uh, the enemy fled. Ha! Huh. And how about with Caesar having been killed, no one rejoiced, right? A giant lie, but let's go with it. Um, so we're going to change that second ablative absolute, right? With Caesar having been killed into a clause starting with after. After Caesar is killed, was killed, when is uh, the killing happening relative to the rejoicing or lack thereof? Before, of course. And uh, the main verb is past tense. So what tense is ablative time or rather, absolute time shows action prior to the past. The pluperfect. So, let me think about it. All right, that's how you do it, I think. After Caesar had been killed, no one rejo rejoiced, right? So, from changing it from with Caesar having been killed, no one rejoiced, to after Caesar had been killed, no one rejoiced. The second participle base construction introduced in this chapter is the passive periphrastic. Gotta love what a $10 word that sounds like, or $10 term rather. Gonna get ready to learn this so you can whip this out at a cocktail party and dazzle your folks. I don't know about that, but whatever. We've already encountered the term periphrastic when we talked about the future active periphrastic. I am going or about to do something. A uh, circuitous trek around the simpler expression, I will do it, right? You know, just love to be convoluted sometimes. Participles love to do that kind of participial stuff. Uh, the word comes from Greek where peri means around. Latin uses circum to say the same. The phrasis means speak. In Latin, that's locust. Um, locut, rather from a verb we haven't studied yet but will so periphrasis in is the greek equivalent of our latin based word uh circumlocution you like that but it's just a construction to to take uh, more words than necessary to say simple things, like I said, and uses the passive in this case with the meaning must be or have to be. The Romans had to use the passive voice if they wanted to say must this way, or to put it in the Latin way, the passive voice had to be used by the Romans. So if they wanted to say must this way if that makes any sense 
So the formula for the passive periphrastic is very simple. So one, you take the gerundive, which is just another way of saying the future passive participle, one of the firms we've learned in the previous chapter. Number two, we add a form of the verb to be essay. Therefore, it literally means is to be done, right? It's basically the gerundive of obligation or necessity, as I like to say. Um, here are some examples of it in action. We're going to go over them. I'll go over a little note at the end, and we're going to just kind of close it out now because this has been a lot of freaking grammar. Let's roll with it and uh, have it churning for a bit. I'm continuing to work on uh, the uh, chapters and writing more and more and more. And uh, I'm going to stop my tangent so that we can go ahead and go into the examples. So, Caesar laudandus est, meaning Caesar must or has to be praised. Vertus naranda est, meaning the truth has or must be told. And then bellum gerendum erat, meaning the war had to be waged. So, note... In the last example, that you can't say must have been waged because that construction doesn't carry a sense of obligation but probability, if that makes sense, right? Must have been waged versus had to be waged, you know, definitely probability versus obligation, in my opinion, if I were to equate the two. Um, English has an odd convention in which must is the present, in the present shows obligation, but in its past tense forms denotes likelihood. So compare he must go, which is obligatory in a sense, versus he must have gone, which is probability, like he probably did that. Uh, so Latin's not the only language with necessary weirdness. We all have it. Gotta love being a uh, Well, gotta love my dad interrupting me, and also gotta love the fact that all Proto-Indo-European uh, languages are derived from just a lot of pragma uh, pragmatism with uh, language as well as um, some necessary weirdness in ways. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you say something, like when you say a sentence, when, you, when you're comparing he must go versus he must have gone, there's definitely an obligatory event, um, version versus a probability type version. So I'm going to cap that uh, there. That's fact, by the way. That's not cap. Uh, and I will go ahead and leave you with Tempest S. Descheteret.